and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, less than three weeks away from corn planting on our farm. We're really excited about that weather permitting. Oh man, we, we are super excited. But here's the challenge. We've got problems like corn rootworms that we have to address. And now is the one time each season that we really get a chance to protect yield. So when you think about corn rootworm, I know a lot of folks will say, man, I don't know, I'm not expecting a problem here. If I have a problem, I can always come back and rescue, right? Well, unfortunately, the answer is no. There isn't a rescue for corn rootworm. If you see corn rootworm beetles and you want to go out and spray corn rootworm beetles, by all means, do it. That's awesome. Get them before they lay eggs, and that can help reduce how many rootworms you're going to have next year. No question about that. But they already cause problems. If you're seeing rootworm beetles at silking time in your corn, you had corn rootworm larvae feeding on your roots. Last year, it was huge. My goodness, I don't know if I've ever seen so many rootworms in my life. Literally, every time I dug up a volunteer corn plant out in a soybean field, there were rootworm larvae feeding on it. When I got into the cornfields, guys would say, nope, I didn't have much of a problem. Yet we saw more stalks leaning over, more more root lodging than I've ever seen. Now, there's a couple things here that I'd say with that. With the root lodging, just because you had some root lodging doesn't mean you had a bad hybrid, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you had corn rootworm larvae feeding in your field. What it does mean is that you need to do some investigation and figure it out because if you had the problem this year, you could have the problem next year. Don't think, oh no, it's just because of the wind. That's the only reason that my corn was was leaning over. No, it's not necessarily just because of that. And when we think about corn rootworm larvae feeding and that diminishing the root capacity and the, the ability of those roots to anchor your plant and hold it upright, that's a big deal. I, I went into fields where a guy said, well, this, this has always had great roots and it doesn't now. And you can see, man, there's been a whole bunch of feeding here. Now, I've had too many farmers say, I can't tell because I don't see larvae there. You can tell. You can see that roots have been chewed off. You can see there's brown and black here. These root systems should be white and fresh and vibrant, and they're not. So there's feeding. And this is your shot. Like I said, you've got to treat with the planter and get some insecticide down in the soil to protect the roots, or you've got to make that choice to get the stacked BT trait to protect your roots that way. Those are your choices because post-emerge, there's nothing that we can spray that effectively moves down in there, kills every rootworm, and heals up your roots. You're going to have more disease issues. You're going to have more stalk rot issues. Lots of problems that are going to happen due to rootworms. So make sure you're thinking about that this year, even if you're in first-year corn. And that's kind of the the problem where a lot of guys got caught last year. Well, I'm rotating. I'm 50-50 corn and soybeans. Yes, but you're in an area that there's lots of corn every year, and there's just going to be rootworm pressure. There certainly is, and, and 2021 was a big year for corn rootworms. When I think about corn rootworm, here's the way I look at it. I just say, number one, realistically, let's be honest, nobody's scouting for it. So how do you know you've got rootworms? You're only going to find out hey, when later you say on nobody, in the summer. Not just no farmers. Hardly any agronomists yeah, are yeah. actually going out and doing root digs. I, I'm amazed but, how many agronomists I talk to that say, what are you talking about? How do you how do you do this? Yeah, but it's, here, uh, yeah. It's but, not that complicated. It's just a lot of work. Yeah, but- Part of the part of the reason why there's so little of it done is because you can't use a rescue treatment. 
There are no rescue products. You have to do something at planting, either insecticide or BT corn. That's it. That's it. That's all you can do. So anyway, here's here's my whole point. Number one, if you've seen adult corn rootworm beetles during the summer, whether it was in your cornfield or your bean field, you know darn well where they came from. They came from your cornfield. So I just look at this year and I say, all right, what's my what's my potential with my corn? I just this minute pulled up what's our local market here for we're, we're going to have a bunch of silage cut and everything. So it's going to be August, early September. The market and what they're paying right now is six dollars and 63 cents. Even if you want to haul at the at the bottom where, of course, they always uh, ding you right during harvest. October 633. OK, yeah, terrible price. Even if it's that we're figuring 240 bushel corn on our farm. At the 633 price, that's $1,519 gross. And at the 663, that's $1,591 gross. BT corn is going to cost you probably 20 bucks an acre extra. Capture LFR is probably going to cost you, let's call it 10. If you want to go with a dry insecticide, that's probably going to cost you 25. So anyway, even if I figure $25, and even if I figure the 663, um, let's see, I'm just doing the math here. That's 1.6% is all. 1.6%. So in other words, it's a tiny, it's a pittance for what your potential gross income is. And I guess I look at corn rootworm and I say, am I really going to take a chance this year? No, there's no possible way with the potential to make $1,500 or more because quite frankly I'm certainly hoping our best cornfield this year will be 300 we would I, I think our best last year was 270 if I figure 300 oh my gosh it's like we've got the chance to hit the home run and okay so I've been on the farm my whole life and I'm gonna be 54 years old this year how many times in your entire farming career when I think back to all the years on the farm because I was in high school and college through the 80s. The 90s were not the best. The early 2000s, not very good. I mean, it was seriously my first 20 years on the farm. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is really tough. And then all of a sudden we had that opportunity in that 2007 to 2012 kind of range where we had some really good prices. And then it went back to huh, not the best for a while. Well, now we're back here again, and we've got the chance to hit the home run. And what I'm trying to say is you don't want to give up 20, 30 bushels, and you could have solved that problem for 10 to $25 an acre. So I just really encourage you to think about corn rootworms. Uh, we're also today going to talk about soil organic matter, and we're going to get to that right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you would like to call in and talk about soil organic matter, corn rootworms, or anything else that's going on your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broadleaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. 
What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to be talking about increasing organic matter in the soil, but we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show. Phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And our email box is always open, radio at agphd.com. Start off out in Oregon. We've got Scott Inman with us right now with Valent. Scott, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? Well, pretty good here. We're talking about increasing organic matter in the soil on today's program. We've been really working on that. Brandon and I, really our entire farming careers, have been working on increasing organic matter. One of the things that we think about is all the living things in our soil. And if we've got a home for them and we've got a food source, uh, we're pretty pumped about that. So what can you tell us about organic matter? How important is that in our soils? Well, it's uh, very important because it's, uh, it's a house for all the living organisms. It's a source, I call them the nutritional as well as the non-nutritional components that plant needs. I mean, everybody's used to putting on fertilizer, but uh, the non-nutritional or what usually is missing, those are kind of components that uh, people try to supplement with uh, biostimulants, but it's not the same as the natural of the combination of organic matter with organisms. So it's very important. You know, when you talk about those microorganisms in the soil, we we barely are scratching the surface with our understanding of some of the important species and what they're all doing in the soil. I know you talk about mycorrhizae fungi quite a bit. Talk to us about that a little bit, Scott. What? Why are they so important? Okay, <clears throat> so fungi, I'll start on a larger scale. The fungi are very important. They should be for a natural, healthy soil, and especially talking about organic matter, they should be about... 50% of the uh, microbial biomass in the soil, and uh, mycorrhizae is a big part of that. So you have two types of fungi. One, mycorrhizae, is the larger biomass that just grows uh, and kind of supports the other fungi, the other kind of free-living fungi. Those are your degraders. Those are breaking down your you know, your corn stalks. You need those to uh, break down those larger 
chained um, components in the soil, so it kind of finds that balance. So mycorrhizae provides, you know, a direct to the plant, but also, you know, from a biomass and carbon accumulation, it's uh, really important in that process. You know, we look at this year, well, actually the last 18 months on our farm, we've been really dry. And where we've looked at mycorrhizal fungi products uh, like Endoprime and others, we've had really good gains when soils have been dry. Is that due to increased nutrient uptake or is there something else going on? There's a, there's a, a multiple of things. One is the nutrient, but also the moisture. I mean, it's, uh, so you think about the the hyphae network, you know, that you get from mycorrhizae, it becomes a big storage unit. So not only can it access nutrients and water, but it also stores, you know. So once it's taken up by the mycorrhizae, it holds it in the hyphae or transplants it directly back to the plant. So the plant has access during those stressful periods that, you know, and if there's excess, it actually can form some storage uh, uh, structures that it can stored as lipids that the plant can have access later. So it allows the plant to be functional even under those stresses and not have to expend the same amount of energy it allows the mycorrhizae to do all the work. So that's where you get that uh, bump because the plant's not expending or energy or shutting down. So it's a you know pretty good benefit for the plant. Tough question to answer here, but one of the big ones we get, Scott, about mycorrhizae fungi is, all right, I know my levels are depleted. I've had all these bad things happen in my field. How long does it take to get a good, healthy population revitalized in my fields? So it's a two-step or longer process. I mean, it does take a while. That's why, you know, we are providing an inoculant that speeds that up. I mean, if you did it naturally, it takes a long time because it has to move in somewhere. Uh, I think, you know, those general practices depend on, you know, the cultural practices. If you're doing things that are negative to the mycorrhizae and that's how you got to the depleted, then it's going to take longer. If you're doing, you know, less tillage, you're doing cover crops, getting, you know, the more plant material, active plant growing out there, that rebuilds it. So you kind of have to take a different approach. If you want it to build faster, you want to kind of, you know, go your crop. You have a, a, a winter crop, a cover crop, you go to another crop. The more crop, more plant material you have out there growing will, you know, increase your mycorrhizae and, um, you know, other fungi as well. But uh, inoculation helps that. So that's just, uh, it's just part of the process. Yeah, I like that you said it's it's a two-step process and a lot to think about here. But, man, it's always good to make that first step. Uh, inoculating with some more mycorrhizae fungi is something that, that there are definitely situations where this could pay a really nice return on investment. And then, like you had mentioned, keeping growing crop out there as much as we can. Yeah. Talk about that a lot when we look at building up organic matter in the soil as well. Yeah. Uh, this is Scott Inman with Valent that you're listening to here uh, from Oregon. Scott, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. All right. Thanks for having me. Good talk to you guys. You bet. Right. Uh, another guy I know that's working on improving his soils long-term is Kelly Garrett down in the state of Iowa. Kelly, thanks for joining us. Hey, Darren, how are you? Good, good. You know, when you think about building up soils and making them even more productive down the road, I know your boys have got to be pretty fired up about that. That's that's pretty good to hear their dad saying, let's take care of this ground and make it make it better for you guys down the road. What are some of the things you're doing to try and build organic matter in your soils? Uh, the very basis is, the very basis of it would be no-till and cover crops. That's just the, the huge part of it. 
Now, in your part of the world, you got you got a lot of hilly ground there. Uh, this hasn't always been the way guys have farmed. So what what did it take to kind of get that area going back to this? And are you seeing a lot of your neighbors doing the same thing? There's a lot of no-till in our area now. You know, I, I'm 47. I remember, you know, as a 10, 12-year-old riding in the tractor with my dad or grandpa, and there was a lot of tillage. Um, I remember, you know, being 13 or 14, and my dad got the first no-till planter. And what the, the no-till meant was that there was a no-till coulter on the front of the true Vs. That was the that was the big change. Uh, I still remember that first field he no-tilled made 110 bushel, and what a huge deal it was. And and we've been moving more and more to no-till ever since. You know, and different changes all the time. I, in 2012, we put no-till coulters on the uh, or not no-till coulters trash wheels on the planter, and we started no-tilling our corn on corn. Uh, and you know, and then in 16 going more and more with cover crops and we just keep evolving over time. Yeah. My grandpa was really big. He really wished he could have done less tillage, but didn't have the equipment. So I know exactly what you're saying. It's pretty basic. Some of the first uh, conservation till or, or I'm sorry, the, equipment to handle and plant into some conservation till or no-till wasn't the greatest but it keeps getting better all the time what do you look for when you talk about doing less tillage using cover crops how do you get great seed to soil contact and perfect seed placement like i know you're shooting for it all starts with the planter um you know we've got delta force on our planter for the hydraulic downforce we we have changed out our trash wheels a few times we now have a model from Yetter that we're happy with that uh, we feel does a better job because you you don't really want to move the soil. You just want to move the trash. And we've changed to narrower gauge wheels because the wider gauge wheels will ride up on that residue at times, and we want to be in that in that band where we're moving the residue out. And I would agree with you. Uh, our, our dads and our grandpas probably had ideas of what they wanted to do, but they had to wait for the equipment, the technology, if you will, to catch up to where we're at today. Your liquid product you talk about quite often that you're putting on your fields, does that have biology in it too? Is that something that's also helping you with increasing organic matter? Yes, there's quite a bit of biology in that product. Uh, There's amino acids in that product, which we know do a lot of great things there. And also in 500 gallons of plant food, there's about 170 pounds of organic carbon. And that does a tremendous job with helping to balance the soil, release the nutrients are there, then we're growing more robust plants, which increases the organic matter. And it just, it's a circular system that uh, uh, just takes time to build. Oh, man. And you threw out the word carbon, too. That would be a very long conversation if we got that one opened up. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let that one sit aside, and we'll, we'll catch that another day. We're talking with Kelly Garrett down in western Iowa. Kelly, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Right. Thanks, Darren. Bye talking about increasing organic matter in the soil and our phone lines are open if you'd like to comment on that or ask a question about that or or any agronomic topic you're thinking about it's 844-44-AG-PHD you can also email us radio at agphd.com we'll get into some of those emails a little bit later in the show stay tuned we'll be right back It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you have an agronomic question we can help you with. Let's start off down in southern Mississippi. we got Walter on with us with a question. Walter, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing today? You no, know, we're doing well. We're getting close to corn planting here. How about you? Well, yeah, they a lot of them have already planted in my area, but I... I usually uh, should have done had seed in the ground, but I'm planting all beans this year. Okay. So I, I said I'm going to try to save some money on fertilizer, I believe. Uh, but I only plant about 1,000 acres, so uh, I'm uh, where I'm at. I'm just a little south of the Delta area. So uh, in my area of the world here, there's not a whole lot of row crop going on. Uh, uh, there's some. My question is on uh, fertility. Well, Basically, I've been having an argument argument with my crop consultant about in-furrow fertiliz- fertilization versus broadcast. Okay. He says that I have no advantage of putting it in furrow uh, as far as 
the requirements. If the soil test says it needs 200 units of potash, then you need to put 200 units per acre, whether you put it in furrow or broadcast. Uh, other things I read said, well, you don't have to. That's your opinion on that. Sure. Now, when you say in furrow, do you mean right in with the seed, or do you just mean in the row and close to the seed? I'm talking about putting it down with something like a I do uh, I don't do any tillage. I'm uh, only strip till. Okay. And uh I I've been debating whether to buy some kind of system to pull behind my 12 row strip till to put the fertilizer in the row. Gotcha. Yep. Uh and he says I'd be wasting money. Uh and Let me ask you a question. I, I is he is he also that. your fertilizer dealer? No, no, he's not. <laughs> okay, just making sure there's no conflict of interest uh, uh, here. No, he's he's independent, uh, and he's he's uh, got a degree in agronomy. Uh, but he says if the soil test calls for 200 units, you need 200 units per acre, no matter how you put it. Well, that's um, true. It's just the question of is it going to get it into the plant. So let's put it this way. The higher your overall soil fertility, then the less in-row fertilizer typically pays. Also, when you have colder soils, so you, you had just said a lot of guys have planted already. Okay, uh, When you're planting early, the soil's colder and some fertilizer products aren't as available when it's cold, especially in the broadcast. So that's a lot of times why, like for us, where we plant in really cold soils, we like having some in-row fertilizer and in-furrow fertilizer. Beyond that, I guess what we typically find is we can get the crop off to a little bit faster start. We finish just a little bit earlier, so we are seeing a little bit more early growth when we've got some fertilizer in the furrow. Even if I go back to the first guy in the United States raising 400 bushel corn, his name was Francis Childs from Iowa. He was still getting some gain. I'm not saying lots, but some gain using in-furrow fertilizer and his fertility levels overall in the soil were off the charts. There was enough there to raise 5,000 bushel corn. So I, I, I mean, I'm not going to tell you that using some fertilizer in furrow is going to be a night and day difference for you. It's going to be this really huge thing. But could it gain you just a little bit? Sure. And if your fertilizer levels overall in your soil, if we looked at your soil tests and we go, yeah, you're kind of in the medium to lower range, then you've got a better chance for it to pay. The other reason why we use okay. a lot of in-furrow fertilizer, and I shouldn't say a lot, why we use in-furrow fertilizer every year on our corn is because we don't have a lot of rainfall. So when we put out dry fertilizer or manure or anything, stuff just isn't super available right away because we haven't had enough rain to get it into soil solution, enough rain to make it break down. There isn't a lot of heat, anything else. So we just, we're against it in terms of both heat and moisture. And so that's where that infrared fertilizer can pay a little bit better. So yeah, it, it's hard to know okay. without looking at your soil tests or anything else. I would say you, you could expect a small gain, but I certainly would not be expecting some massive gain just by putting your fertilizer in furrow. Just by putting it in the rows. Okay, that's was that's what I was wondering about that. Now, what? Uh, now, oh, if, hey, if you were. Oh, sorry, I was just a bad deficit. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if if you're at a bad deficit a bad overall, deficit. then it's going to pay better. But here's the temptation then. When you say, oh boy, I'm really short. I'm going to put a bunch of fertilizer in the furrow. That can cause more problems than it can help you. So if you so fertilizer, all fertilizer is salt. It has salt. So for fertilizer in excess gets to be a real problem if it's near the seed. So if you just want to go with a little bit of product and you want to use a low salt product or whatever, we're great with that. We're totally supportive of that. It'll most likely pay. But you start bumping the rates a lot and now you got a problem. Okay. Now, uh, no, but this is sort of related. Uh, I use a lot of chicken litter here. Yep. And my phosphates are, are fairly high. Okay. And it's they run anywhere from uh, 150 to 300 parts per million. Malik test or what test um, are you using? Malik three probably. Well, I, I'm not. Sure. Yeah, I don't know if they did a water soluble test or not. Okay. Uh, but uh, my crop consultant says, well, if the phosphate's there, it's there. Uh, a guy that's selling some liquid fertilizer said I should put some some phosphate out because it said it's going to be tied up even though the test says there's plenty there uh do you have any idea of does phosphate tie up that bad phosphate can tie up fairly bad especially if you've got high ph or low ph but if your pH is relatively neutral, let's say it's in the sixes, then we don't have we don't get that super worried about it, especially when you're 150 to 300. But if I looked at your soil test, then I could tell you a little bit better. My two things that I'll say, I'll go back to what I said a minute ago. Some nutrients aren't super available when it's cold. Phosphorus is one of those. So if you were, so it's whole different for you than it is for me. When you're in Mississippi, you're yeah, much much warmer. Yeah. All right. For me, I'm really concerned about the cold and, and it being available right away. So I wouldn't get super worried about the, the, the tie-up, especially when you're at that kind of level. Now, the other thing I wanted to bring up to you is zinc. So a lot of times we look at a ratio of phosphorus to zinc, and when your phosphorus is that high, 150 to 300, usually we're talking 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc. So that'd be 15 to 30. I assume this is parts per million you're talking there. 15 to 30 parts per million of zinc. And I don't know what your zinc level is at, but what I'm saying here is rather than investing my money in more phosphorus and throwing that in the furrow, I might do a tiny little bit, but I would certainly take a look at zinc and make sure that my zinc levels are good. Hopefully you're getting that in your chicken litter, but if you're not, that might be a micronutrient to add. So a lot of times people that we work with that have litter, manure, compost, it's, it's common when they're short on one or two micronutrients and they look at their soil test and they go, boy, I should be getting fantastic yields. I got actually pretty good amounts of nitrogen there and my phosphorus levels are high and my potassium levels are high. Why is my yield not a little higher? Sometimes it just comes down to micronutrients, whether it's zinc or copper or manganese or something like that. Okay. So anyway, if you want to send us your soil tests, we'd be more than happy to look at them at some point for you, and then maybe we can uh, help you out a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I uh, on my on my, most all my land uh, is is grid sampled in two and a half acres. Yeah. Great. Uh, now, uh, I picked up a, a a small field, hundred acre field this year that just uh, I just went out and did a random soil test over. Uh, and it was it was showing uh, 
needing like 250 pounds of potash per acre for <laughs> beans. Uh, yep. And that's that's where one of the questions I come back into about this infer. Sure. So we really like strip till and we like putting fertilizer on that way. If, however, you've got a whole bunch of chicken litter, enough to cover all your lands, maybe you don't need to do a whole bunch in strip till. You could just do a little supplement with the planter or something like that. So lots of ways to go with fertility. Hey, hey, Walter, thanks a lot for calling in today. Send us your soil test sometime if you get a chance. We'd be more than happy to take a look at them for you. Thank you. You bet. Thanks. Talking about raising soil organic matter on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct Next-Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about building up soils, at least building up organic matter levels in soils on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. So patiently waiting online is our friend Matt Miles down in Arkansas. Matt, I know you're working on building up your soils as well. And uh, did you catch the last caller there talking about chicken litter? And I thought, oh, no, he might steal some of Matt's thunder. <laughs> oh yeah, I did. It was very interesting what he was saying, and 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 I agree with with most every, everything y'all were saying. We we still have issues, even though we have the fi- high phosphorus levels, you know, in soil. Getting that, you know, early in that corn plant, getting the numbers we want, you know, in a uh, phosphorus in that plant. So we, we we did it just like what Brian said. We just put a little bit of a phosphorus in there just to kind of help the plant get started. Yeah, that's that's an important thing, and and uh, we had Scott Inman earlier talking about mycorrhizae fungi. Is that anything you guys have worked with yet? We a little bit, uh, not a great deal, but yeah, we're uh, we're starting to to do some different stuff like that. You know, I, when when I was looking at kind of the schedule, and you know, I thought, yeah, I'd like to do this show because I'm I'm probably the opposite. Uh, heard Kelly earlier. You know, I, I have a we have a we struggle. That's one of our biggest. Challenges. Is, is building organic matter and our organic matter is so low to begin with uh you know you would think with 12 years of multiple litter that our organic matter would be out the roof but it just seems like that's one of the hardest things to, to build we, we that we're challenged with yeah you definitely have a different growing environment and a different season than we've got further north and yeah kelly's a little bit south of us but uh, a lot closer to, to our climate than he is to yours it, the long growing season has to make it a challenge too and you've got organic matter breaking down really most months out of the year that's exactly right and the heat the extreme heat we have and the warm winters we have uh if we can just you know stay status quo or stay even with where our organic matters are and increase a little bit, we feel like, you know, it's a win for us. And, and we're only looking at like, you know, maybe one to 1.2, you know, when we started the litter and started some of this biology, uh, you know, we were in the three quarters of a percent to 1%. We're getting that up to, you know, 1.2 to 1.5. Some of our continuous no-till uh, rice, our zero grade, you know, it's, it's 3% or a little better, but, you know, we treat that ground so much different than we do our row crop because it's not fur irrigated. Yeah, that is that is really interesting. And and I just think about all the rain you guys can get. Man, you can get so much so fast. And I know having more organic matter can hold more moisture, but I love what you're doing with drainage improvements too where you can get rid of a lot of that excess water ahead of time so when the rains come, you got a place to go with it. Yeah, we got three inches, yes, I think day before yesterday. Uh, you know, in about a eight hour period, we got three inches of rain. So we got a lot of water backed out on the fields now. And, and, uh, but you know, that's just part of it. It looks like we're going to plant four crops in April. I assume that I'll be planting cotton, corn, rice, and beans all in the same, probably at the same time. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. It sounds a little confusing. What, what does stuff look like that you've already got in the ground? Is you got, if you get a sprout on anything at this point? No, we just, well, we got soybeans up that we planted on February the 19th and uh, took them 29 to 30 days. We did a we did a stand count on them Monday afternoon, and they were at 83, and there's still several coming up. So, uh, you know, we're kind of proud about that. We, You know, we were asked by a few people how early is too early, 
and uh you know we basically said hold my beer we'll go check <laughs> so uh you know that's we, we we had one or two days there we could plant in the 30-day forecast coming and man it's been it's been tough on them but they're uh they're actually pretty doggone impressive our corn we planted about 300 acres monday that's the first day that we've been able to get in a field since february 19th when we planted that that 46 acres of soybeans so that that tells you wow you know roughly for the last 30 days we haven't been able to get in the field any yeah yeah that is that is something well uh, hats off to you guys matt you and your whole team i know you guys are always pushing the envelope on what can be done and let's find out where the limits are so we can learn because you're, you're doing so many things different than guys have done over the last generation you're, you're really learning and working hard at it so kudos to you guys matt thanks uh, for being on the show today and stay safe this spring Yes, sir. Thank you all. Good luck. You bet. Let's head up to Nebraska. we got Randy on with us right now. Now, Randy, I'm betting you're not calling like Matt to tell us about your soybeans you planted in February, are you? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Me either. We got we got our beans still safe in the bag or safe in the bin, so we got a little ways to go before we get to do that. But uh, I'm glad somebody can get rolling and get the spring started. What's on your mind today, Randy? But I am planting right now. Really? I'm I'm planting oats. There you go. Well, we're hoping to have yeah. some oats in the ground here coming up within the next week or so, too. So that that's a good yeah. thing. Um, you know, talking about organic matter, you get, I guess you had a different question along that line. What were you thinking? Well, uh, how does wheat residue impact organic matter? Well, here's what we'll often tell people. The above-ground residue that you see is more about protecting the soil from erosion than it is about building organic matter below ground. The or, What is above ground, we call that organic material. And once it gets fully broken down, that's organic matter. What they found is that most organic matter that gets built in the soil comes from the breakdown of roots. So that's why no-till accelerates the process so much faster because you aren't disturbing those roots at all. They break down naturally, and then they have a better chance to become soil organic matter. So that above-ground residue, and I assume where you're going with this, has to do with taking the residue away from the field. I think about that a lot more as how much fertility left the field, especially when fertilizer prices are high now. And this goes back uh, the last time fertilizer prices were really high, 15 years ago or 14 years ago. And I just remember we had some wheat on the farm and we were going to have somebody come in and bale the, uh, the straw and pay us whatever. And I said, wait a second here. Um, I'm testing this residue to see how much how many nutrients are leaving the field. And it looks to me like he's going to get the straw. I'm going to have pay the fertilizer bill and I'm going to come up behind on the whole deal. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want that. We got to charge more for the straw that's leaving the field. And, and, and I think too often in farming, we just get, we, we start thinking, well, we've always done it this way and we'll keep doing it that way. But when fertilizer prices are triple what they were a year and a half ago, we got to, we got to rethink that a little bit in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, having wheat or corn, I mean, both of those things can be really good for residue if, or for for organic matter building, if you leave the residue out there and, you know, protect the soil, leave the roots kind of intact as much as you can, and then you can build organic matter over time. Very good. And as rule of thumb, how many pounds of nitrogen does it take to grow a bushel of wheat, in your opinion? 
well, I don't like to have opinions when there is science behind stuff. Well, so I just pull up thing. our. Here's the thing, Randy. If it's no-till and there's lots and lots of high carbon, low nitrogen residue on top of the ground, you're going to have to apply a little bit of extra nitrogen, just like you would in a continuous corn situation, because for the microbes in the soil to break that residue down, they're going to need to tie up some of your nitrogen to get it done. So let's just say that you wipe that residue piece out. We can give you an exact number on what wheat is going to need, and then you're going to have to use your judgment to adjust after that point to see, okay, how much extra may I need to put out due to residue situations? So if I if I I just pulled up the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App, and this is information from the International Plant Nutrition yeah. Institute. We didn't make this stuff up. So for winter wheat, they say 1.86 pounds of nitrogen for every bushel of wheat. Now, that's not necessarily what you have to apply. That's just what it takes to produce that bushel of wheat. You have to look at soil organic matter mineralization, what nitrogen was carried over, what nitrogen gets lost. Uh, to Darren's point, what nitrogen gets tied up. I mean, there are a lot of factors that go into this, but that's what it takes to raise a bushel of wheat is 1.86 pounds. Okay. Um, I'm shooting for high wheat yields under irrigation. Yep. Following soybeans. Yep. And at this point, my plan is to do 120 pounds. Yep. I'm, I'm not giving any credit to the soybeans. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. How, how, how much soil organic matter do you have right now, roughly? About three. Okay. I'll tell you what. Uh, we got to take a quick break here, Randy. We'll come back and uh, we'll talk just a little bit more about your exact situation. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. 
What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPVD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, just talking a little about soil organic matter. We were talking corn rootworms earlier in the show as well. But right before the break, we were visiting with Randy from Nebraska. And Randy, I just wanted to bring you back on and, and ask you this question. You said you're going for high-yield wheat. How high? What kind of bushels are we talking? Uh, 120 or better. <laughs> okay. And is this winter wheat, I assume? Yes. Okay. So if I plug in 120 bushel winter wheat, that requires 223 pounds of nitrogen. Now, with your soil organic matter, you said it was around 3%. So I'm going to figure I'm going to get 60 to 90 pounds there. Even though you're not figuring anything anything for the soybeans from last year, there probably was some carry-in nitrogen. But here's where I'm going with this. You had said you put on 120 pounds, and that sounds like a not, good— Not yet. Oh, you're going to, though. Well, I have put on 120 pounds of 40 rock in the fall, and now I have put on an additional 60 pounds of urea before it broke dormancy. Okay. We're going to follow that up with a herbicide, fungicide, and 10 gallons of 32. Okay. And then that nets us like 119. And then I was thinking I would foliar seed when I do the flag leaf protection with the second pass of fungicide. Okay. So what I would be doing, in addition to all that stuff, and I don't have any issue with any of that that you said there, but what I would do is I would do it just like we do in corn, and we do the same thing in wheat when we have wheat as well. We pull nitrate tests. So just before the last timing where I would want to do this, so let's call it, uh, uh, let's say, just before flag leaf, okay, at that point, so maybe it's a couple of weeks before flag leaf, I, I might go out and I'd pull a nitrate test and I'd see, all right, what do I have in my soil right now? Because here's the problem. Number one, it, it takes a tremendous amount of nitrogen to raise wheat. And, you know, especially if you're going for 120. The next problem is with soil organic matter, because you are as far south as you are down in Nebraska, your wheat's probably going to finish sometime in July, correct? Yes. So because of that, you're not going to get your 60 to 90 pounds of nitrogen out of your organic matter. You might get 40 to 60. And so I I, I just, I, 
I'm, I'm just afraid you're going to run short here is my concern. So if I do a nitrate test in the soil, then we find out and we say, all right, we can look at the charts and say, all right, we still need roughly half our nitrogen, run the calculation, and, and we go, ooh, I only have 30 pounds left in the soil. That's probably not going to cut it. But on the other hand, if for whatever reason you have a whole bunch that's sitting there, well, great, you're in good shape. So I just, I, I'd pull a nitrate test in the soil and find out what do I really have. And I'd pull it down at least to 12 inches. A lot of times, like in corn, we go clear to 24 inches. So I don't know if you have any compaction or anything else. You can see how deep your roots are getting. But for sure, your plants should be able to pull nitrogen up from 12 inches, if not even 18 to possibly 24. Sounds good. And if it's short, I'll run it through the pivot. Yep. So that would be my suggestion and just add more. But I, I, I tell this to people all the time when they talk about this split application, just like you're describing, that's great. I love split applications. But as long as we're split applying it, then we might as well test mid-season. A, a nitrate soil test only costs yep. five bucks. And now we have concrete yep. answers rather than I'm guessing or you're guessing or your fertilizer dealer's guessing. Having uh, actual data usually helps make us all a little smarter. Oh, yes, I think so. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Randy, thanks for the call. Good luck All this right. year, and uh, let us know how you turn out. I will call you back after harvest. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yep. All right, Brian, I'm going to dive into the Ag PhD mailbag here. It's the mailbag. Got an interesting question. This one's from Austin, and a lot of times we'll get this on a very small scale. Someone will ask us, oh, I got a little tiny bit of treated soybeans left over. What do I do with a bag or a couple bags, something like that? Uh, but Austin uh, works for a retail outlet. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, is a seed dealer, uh, and he's over in Illinois, and he said, we've got a stack of carryover beans. Germ is bad, uh, so we've written off the inventory, and, and I just need to get rid of them. They've got a, a regular seed treatment on it that has fungicide and insecticide. Uh, got a few questions for you. First of all, can I spread these on beans double this fall, incorporate them with tillage to put nutrients back in the soil? Will that add any fertility sure. in my field? Yes. Yes, you can. Now, I but as as I say that, I don't know with it being a seed dealer and what the deal is for if those are dumped beans and if they'll allow you to do that or anything else. So we're just simply talking agronomics here. You have to work it out with the trait fees and yeah, the, the trait, the you know, trait all that other stuff. To, you need to talk to them about it, make sure yes, that, but, that that's fine. But we're only answering the agronomic side, yeah, and yeah, yes, and it some, would help. And in some cases, they're allowing people to put them out fairly early, use them like a cover crop. You're not going to get yeah. anything out of it. No. But that way they germinate, and then they die and with the done. fall frost and it's over right. and and austin just made a comment we're going to go to corn so our chemistries will wipe out any survivors next year okay sure. that was first question second question uh with these beans being treated do i need to worry about that insecticide will it do any harm to beneficials or anything else by putting those beans out there well of course oh and this is going to play some. into question three what rate can i spread these soybeans out of the field now it's if you're putting them out there 10 feet thick then yes, there's probably enough insecticide out there that you may want to worry about it. And if you're putting <laughs> them out at a lower rate than what you'd normally seed them at, then I wouldn't be worried at all. So there's there's definitely a a point of of uh, worry out there if you get enough of them. Mm, I wouldn't, because what am I what am I worried about killing? What beneficial insects could I possibly kill with that that I'm going to have a problem? Now, I I understand so. 
please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying, oh, we don't care about beneficial insects. I do. I'm just saying if you're going to spread something over three acres, um, it's a it's so tiny that it's not going to amount to anything. My dad always used to say this, our dad used to say this all the time, the dose makes the poison. You always have to think about what your overall impact on everything is. So if I spread insecticide on literally every square foot of the entire earth, then obviously I got a major impact. If I'm spreading on three grand total acres in this massive earth we've got, I'm not super worried about that. So would I be concerned? Not one bit. All right. Yeah. A lot of, like you say, a lot of times it's a, a farmer that has a bag or two left and, and no big deal. Uh, but, but sometimes it ends up being a, a seed dealer or a. Yeah. And it's a unfortunate. That gets a bunch. And that's the reason why soybeans are treated typically right as they go out. Because then if they don't get sold, the retailer or seed dealer, whatever, they can still go sell those soybeans as beans. But once they're treated, there's nothing you can do with them in terms of selling them as grain anymore. Now they basically have to be seeded or incinerated. All right. Thanks for the questions. I got this one from A.L. who said, on our farm, we were talking about driverless tractors, said, on our farm, we have auto steer out on our blueberry harvester that, that goes over the bushes. If we didn't have that, I'm sure... I'm not too sure that all those bushes would still be standing. Yeah, it's it's really important. And uh, thanks for that comment, Al. That's uh, that's really good. I, I didn't know about blueberries, but I'm I'm sure that technology is getting used on on high dollar crops like that too. Uh, this one from Justin, and he said one thing about driverless tractors. He goes, I wonder if they'll have something in them that will return your wave when you wave at them as you meet them out on the road. I don't know, Justin. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. We'll we'll see how that all works out when we get to that point down the road here. That that would be interesting. Uh, get this one from Roger. He said, I just recently discovered your show on RFD TV. I'm not a farmer, but I do come from rural stock. My question is, is there a wall chart with all these chemicals and their class and what they kill? I've got a chemistry background. Wish that I could better follow some of the information you guys are giving out. Maybe you have your own chart. Uh, wondering if you've ever done that. Well, we don't have a chart like he's talking about, but we do have a couple of apps. So the Ag PhD Field Guide app talks about a number of different pesticides and what they do. And then the Ag PhD Mode of Action app, then you can see which things are in each particular mode of action and what their class of chemistry is. Yeah, thanks for the feedback. We really appreciate that. And then Tom sent something in about driverless tractors as well. He said, a lot of people are afraid of changes, but personally, I see them as force multipliers that give family farms a chance to, to make some changes. Hey, Almost I, all farms are still owned by families here in the United States. It's not all this corporate farming that everybody talks about. Yeah, that's a, that's a good comment, Tom. We really appreciate that. Yes, there's going to be change. It's all in how we're going to respond to that. And it, it oftentimes pushes us forward to do an even better job. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.